You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. In-depth conversations, matchup breakdown, everything a Steelers fan could want. This is Fourth Down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. Welcome back in. It is another edition of Fourth Down in the Steel City as we build up towards a huge Sunday night game between the Steelers and all apologies to Chris Berman. The Raiders. In Las Vegas, alongside Josh Taylor, I'm Chris Mack, and we are going to get you ready for this one. We'll play a little game of is this a thing in a couple of minutes, but what we know is a thing is that Josh's house is getting worked on because we can hear the saws and the drills in the background. Uh I imagine you're having a palatial studio built, um, and you are therefore pushed to a side room. Yes, I am. Where somehow the internet is better, but I like it. I am in the corner of the the guest room right now. That's where I've kind of you know <laughs> tucked myself into. But yeah, if you hear some some weird noises, it's, it's the usual bumps and bruises associated with construction, it's if just, you will, until my office the, gets done. It's not the pork carnitas I had for lunch. I promise. Um, no, not at all. <laughs> so let's talk about the biggest issue in Steeler Land. Before we do that, before we get into Kenny Pickett and the Steelers' offense, don't forget to subscribe. Inside your Odyssey app, you're going to follow Fourth Down in the Steel City. Three little dots up above. You're going to put your finger there. You're going to tap. You're going to click follow if you haven't already. You'll get notified as soon as new episodes are available. However you get your podcast, be sure to subscribe, whether it's iTunes, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, however you do it, subscribe to Fourth Down in the Steel City today. And again, you'll get notified as soon as new episodes are available. If it's also a video episode like this one and like most of them are, You can get it on YouTube. You see where Josh is pointing? There's a little notification bell down there, and you're going to tap on it when you go to the 93.7 The Fan YouTube page because then you will get notified every time a new episode is posted of anything at 93.7thefan.com, including fourth down in the Steel City. With all of the housekeeping out of the way, including my reminder to leave reviews or comments, uh, we dive into Mr. Pickett, Josh, because... (laughs) This is not it. 15 to 30 for 222 yards. uh, Sacked twice. Throws a pick. The 71-yard touchdown to George Pickens, the only score. A quarterback rating of 71.8. And plenty of off-target balls. Uh, A lot of what we talked about in the immediate aftermath of Monday night's game on our post-game show was... Uh, he he looks like he's lacking confidence. He's lacking decisiveness. Um, I don't know if those are the kind of things as we start to look ahead to Sunday night in Vegas, the kind of things that can be fixed by even the best possible practice reps. It's starting to feel like Kenny Pickett has to get out there on the field and feel it in a game in order to start looking like the guy we thought we were getting in the final nine games last season and those three preseason games this summer. Yeah, I alluded to that Sunday night after the game against Cleveland. You know, the the best thing you can hope for for Kenny Pickett is that he looks a lot more like he did last season against Vegas. And that's 
that's a good place to start because he looked a lot more decisive in that game against Vegas. He mm-hmm. had more control of the offense as far as throwing the ball. He made better decisions against Vegas, and he was accurate against Vegas. You saw that. He was able to lead a, a comeback drive in the fourth quarter, and that wasn't really the, the best of you know conditions as far as throwing the ball then. It was what? Christmas time, it was cold, kind of miserable, but he still Frigid, did what he yeah. had to do and, and get that game-winning strike to, I believe it was George Pickens, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. So, yeah, those are all things that we need to see more of. Now, granted, the latter part of it, we saw that picket-to-pickets connection. We saw that quite a bit against Cleveland when it was necessary. But you got to see more of the accuracy. You got to see more of the decisiveness. You got to see more of the confidence that you mentioned That's because he looked really confident last season against Vegas. That latter half of the season after the bye week, he looked increasingly confident as the season went on because even immediately after New Orleans, you still saw him develop and develop more confidence and get more more traction with what the offense was doing. And here's where having the scheme that they have, so to speak, goes hand in hand because if we've known one thing, if Matt Canada does not have a lot of confidence in one area of the offense, he's going to kind of wall that off. He's going to try to avoid getting into that pitfall as much as he can. If there's no trust going deep with the ball, he's going to keep it short. If there's no trust running Mm -hmm. the ball, they're going to throw the ball more or try to spread it out and do more things with it. So if he doesn't have confidence in his quarterback to make intermediate to deep throws accurately, guess what it's going to be? It's going to be a lot of short drops, a lot of getting the ball out quickly, which might not be the best, might might not be the worst thing, considering the fact he's not getting a lot of protection. But for Kenny Pickett, it is about controlling what you can control. It's about being more decisive. It's about being more accurate. And we know it's in there because we saw it last year. If if there's anything else, maybe go back and watch that tape against Vegas from last year. Maybe that's what helps you. But we know it's in there. He just has to tap into it. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the, the stat sheet from Monday night, you can't ignore the fact that half of the targets to George Pickens went incomplete. He only caught four balls out of the 10 targets thrown his way. Calvin Austin, only one catch in four targets. Um, Najee Harris, even one catch on three targets. Guys are getting the ball thrown their direction, but the throws just aren't there where they need to be. You look in particular um, back to week one, uh, a ball that's behind Deontay Johnson, that if it's on the front shoulder goes for a touchdown. Uh, we had a quick slant to George Pickens early on Monday night that if it's on the front shoulder, it's a conversion and maybe a big play. Um, there are just too many opportunities. And look, I, I understand those that are saying, well, he's got guys in his face right away. Well, in that case, this is where the coordinator does come in and does try to help things out, as you're alluding to here, Josh. It, then then three steps and out, or not even three steps and out. Shotgun, snap, beat, out. I mean, let's let's get some balls out of the quarterback's hands quickly. Let's get them into some playmakers' hands. Heck, it doesn't even have to be into some playmakers' hands. Just get them into somebody's hands. Complete some balls early so that Pickett starts to feel a rhythm And so you start to loosen up the box and you're not running into eight man fronts. Um, I think that is huge if they can actually scheme that up on Sunday night. But that comes back to the question of how confident can you feel in Kenny Pickett now, even as as Matt Canada or Mike Tomlin, how confident can you feel in Kenny Pickett right now, given that the first two games, he has looked as inaccurate as any other point in his very brief NFL career to this point 
Yeah, it, it does create a lot of concern as far as just what you can do and how much could work. If there's two things I'm looking at that could be useful in this game, one of them is something that we didn't see a lot of you know, going into last season and throughout last season, but I've been asking for more of it. And we got a little sliver of it last week was I'd like to see more play action. And one of his better throws he made last week was involving play action and it was an accurate throw. But I think it's also because the fact that he had a little bit more of a window, more space, better lanes to throw from. And I think that's helpful for him. I think the other thing is utilizing the running backs out of the backfield a little bit more. You saw it with Jalen Warren. You mentioned Najee Harris having three targets, but only one catch. But besides that Pickens play for the touchdown, the catch and run, his next biggest throw of the game was another catch and run. And it was to Jalen Warren, a, a, a play that I thought was actually drawn up pretty well with how the formation went and where Jalen Warren came. Jalen Warren was on the strong side of the formation. He comes across the formation to the weak side, and he was on the strong side with a bunch side to that side. He comes across the formation, away from the bunch, a lot of traffic there, linebacker gets tangled up, and he comes out open, and it turns into a huge play in the passing game. I'd like to see more of that. Just finding ways to get guys, even if it's just an arrow route here, an angle route here getting a tight end on a short out route, finding ways to get some of these guys open in space, even if it's small gains and you can hit one. If you can hit one like Jalen Warren did, you could turn it into a big play possibly. Not all of them have to be that way, but just some small things to, if nothing else, get his confidence up and keep the chains moving. Well, and that's, that's the thing. Scheme some guys open because it's possible. We just haven't seen it happen yet this year. Get George Pickens lined up in a bunch formation and have all three guys stem their routes off the same angle. And before you know it, guys get caught in the wash. Um, yep. You want to make it difficult for a corner and a safety to communicate about who has who, especially with the inside linebacker or inside nickel corner or safety, whoever has the inside curl zone as well. By all means, put three guys right next to each other, have them all fire off the ball and have those guys in their backpedal trying to figure out, okay, do I have the out route here? Do I have the in route here? Do I have the deep ball? And then have the receivers, I know this is crazy, but maybe have the inside receiver break out and the outside receiver break in. I know that's a wild concept, but try something where you actually get some picks and some rubs in coverage and scheme some guys open it still feels like because of the simplicity, and I know a lot of guys, we talk about simplicity in mm. so much as how they scheme the running game. I think the run game does have to be simplified. I think it does have to be more straight ahead. We talked about that Monday night in the post game. Yep. I think the pass game actually does need to be made more complex. The route trees and the concepts need to be made more complex because think back now, whether you considered it uh, four verticals or not, Think back to that one play call we saw on the goal line against San Francisco that everybody made a big stink about where they're on the three-yard line, five-yard line. I can't remember what it is. But all mm -hmm. four receivers basically just come off the ball and run to the back of the end zone. And you're sitting there saying, wait, wait, we're on the three-yard line, and I didn't see one man cross the formation on his route? What yeah. What are we doing? No and one was in conflict? Nothing. No, no, nothing. No defenders in conflict. And so that's where, you know, I want to be careful when we talk about simplifying things because I mentioned it a lot on Monday night, Tuesday morning. You simplify the run game. Let, let the offensive lineman just fly off the ball and punch people and add a couple tight ends to the mix, hopefully ones that block. We'll get to that later. Um, and punch some dudes in the mouth and go get going forward. 
in the past game, let's just create some real simple, like you said, conflict, some some rubs, some picks, if, if you want to call them that, on one side of the formation. And this goes back to what you talked about in, in, in the, all the comparisons everybody wants to make to the last quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. In Ben Roethlisberger's first two seasons, he wasn't being asked to read, more often than not, wasn't being asked to read more than half the field. Ken Wisenhunt said to him, Ben, take this side of the field, read it and react and be decisive. And that's what he did. And that's why he was successful. Very successful. If if you want to talk about 7% successful. Exactly. So if you want to talk about how you breed confidence in Kenny Pickett, don't ask the man to go out there 13 games into his NFL career, 14 games now, whatever it is, and read the entire field. Say, Kenny, we got a trips bunch on the right side. Just read the right side. Read that Mm -hmm. side and look for the man who breaks free as they all break at about three, five, seven yards, wherever you want to set the brakes, and hit that guy. Be decisive. Know who you want. Make your pre-snap. Dan Orlovsky, I saw, was talking about it yesterday, I believe, on McAfee. He's not. He's reading pre-snap and locking in. He's not making post-snap reads. Give him an easy, quick post-snap read and let him get the ball out. This is where the OC and the quarterback have to come together and where I'm okay blaming both because the OC isn't giving him an easy scheme to read and, or maybe he's giving him too easy a scheme for the defense to read. And he's the quarterback is not simply making a decision and going with it. And honestly, the stuff you're talking about, they did some of that last year in the second half of the season. They did some of that where they were coming up with concepts where, and Kenny Pickett talked about this. It might have been the Baltimore game. It wasn't Baltimore. It might have been Atlanta. Actually, come to think of it, it was Atlanta. He talked about the touchdown pass to Connor Hayward. And he said, basically, I just read one side versus the other. And he said he had a concept where one side was a man beater. The other side was his own beater. You picked which you figured out from the pre-snap which side went where. And that's where he went with the ball. In the preseason, they talked about how he was able to read the field. And Friermuth talked about it with that touchdown against Buffalo. And Pickett talked about it. He said, look. Looked at the field. We saw. We knew what the route was. We we saw exactly where this person lined up when this person moved. You knew the throw was there. I think some of this, honestly, might be his own processing because it's not mm. like it's something we haven't seen before. It might be him just trying to do a little bit too much. So you say maybe don't simplify the passing game. I'd say for Kenny Pickett, maybe simplify your process. Yeah, just go off of your yeah. just go off of your best instinct and go what you and go with what you have. Don't try to make the best play all the time. Just try to make the simplest and smartest play more often than not. Well, it's taking a complex, I guess, taking something that's complex and simplifying it for the benefit of the quarterback, right? Right. So right. so sim- simplify for me, not your offense as a whole, but simplify for me the concept on a given play and make it a one post-snap read kind of play. That doesn't mean simplifying the entire offense and dumbing it down because that's that's another very valid criticism that a lot of people have. It's a very vanilla offense that seems to exist around the same few schemes um, that that every play rotates in and out of those schemes. So I have a theory about that, but that's for another topic for another time. Okay, but I, I think you can... You can simplify the decision-making process for your quarterback. It doesn't mean you simplify the entire offense so that it's too simple for the defense to read, which is what I think things are right now. I agree. Um, totally. 
But that's that's where we're at because if they don't do more to help scheme Kenny Pickett some scheme some receivers open for Kenny Pickett, then we're going to continue to see you know four of ten to a guy like George Pickens who's going to get increasingly frustrated. You're going to see one of three to a Calvin Austin or one of three to a, an Allen Robinson or a Najee Harris or maybe only two targets overall for the the starting tight end in the first two games or five targets, whatever it is in the first two games for Pat Fryermuth combined, which brings us to, is this a thing? Which we will do next right here on fourth down in the steel city. In-depth conversations, matchup breakdown, everything a Steelers fan could want. This is fourth down in the steel city with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. Welcome back in. It's fourth down in the Steel City. Greg Finley, our intrepid producer, has jumped in between Josh and I to play another rousing game of Is This a Thing? Uh, We've got a couple different items that are all going to splinter off into conversations, I imagine. Uh, But let's start with, Greg, you've got audio visuals. I like this. (laughs) All right. Here it is. Show it to me. Oh, Oh, my God. It's like being what, at work. What graphics what is, now? This is great. What is? Hold on. Why is everybody over here and the Steelers are all the way down there? Yeah. So, uh, offensive efficiency chart here that we're seeing having the Steelers extremely low with the run and the passing. Usually, if you can have one work, you would be like where the Giants are probably or where the Browns are. The Steelers have neither of them working right now. Is this a major concern for the way that the rest of this season could go? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, this, <laughs> this is a look at that. So yeah, they're, they're the worst, by far worst in the league in expected. Uh, what is it? Expected points per play on dropbacks and by far the worst in points per play, expected points per play in rush offenses. I mean, they had to expand the chart out just to fit the Steelers on it. This is, I mean, it should only be like up in the upper rectangle and they had to, the Steelers are Hawaii. What is going on here? Oh, they're Um, definitely Alaska and Hawaii or the Giants are Alaska and the Steelers are Hawaii. Right. This is like a sea inset here kind of deal. Um, but look at but look at like where teams like the 49ers who are led by Brock Purdy coming off of major surgery. Look where they are. Well, but at the same time, they also have guys like George Kittle and Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey. So that helps. It helps True. a lot, especially especially on the running and the ball side, because look at it, they're they're at the top and running the ball too, besides being one of the furthest well, out to the right as far as throwing the ball. There's and here's the thing. That. Here's the thing. I could handle being and say like you know, Falcons, Titans, Eagles territory, because that would mean you're at the very least getting a little bit more out of the run game, which is, again, I'm a broken record at this point, but that's how you constructed this offense in the offseason was to provide a little more efficiency in the run game so that your quarterback wouldn't have to do too much. Give me, don't even, it doesn't have to be crazy or wild. Just get me, Somewhere in the you could even put me like say where the Browns are, where they're they're basically zero point zero Blutarski in <laughs> points points expected points per play in in the pass game or in the rush game and a little negative in the pass game. Even that would be tolerable. 
but you're negative in both and so drastically negative that you're bare that you're like off the charts literally um yeah this is a thing and this is why i know people don't very rightly so don't want to talk about replacing matt canada in the middle of the season not because we don't want to but because we know it's not going to happen but when you see something like this two weeks in if it doesn't get turned around drastically in the next three weeks right like get me to the bye then you got to have a serious sit-down conversation with everybody involved and say, hey, I know we're only five weeks into the season, but if we're ever going to do something like this, the bye week is the time to do it. If you're still Hawaii or Alaska on this chart after week five, then you got to consider that, even though it's quote not, quote-unquote, the way we do things, Josh. I got to look at this two different ways. It, the easy answer is it, it's a thing because – you never want to be that team in the bottom left-hand corner on this chart, as Chris is alluding to. You never want to be that guy. And that's fair. I will also say it's a thing that can change. And the reason why I'd say the second thing where, you know, I don't expect it to stay a thing is because those first two games, that first game was against the best defense in the land last mm -hmm. season. That's part of it. I think the second game, they were facing a really strong run defense. And in both weeks, they faced one of the best pass rushing guys in the land. However, that second team ran into two of the other best pass rushing guys in the land as a counter argument. But I will say this. If you're talking about week five or the bye week, I expect it to be near the middle, if only by default. I think it's a thing for now because part of the competition that they faced. But I yeah. think towards the bye week, it'll be more toward the middle because not only do I expect – that part that's down in the corner, I expect the y-axis to improve. I expect them to move upward in the y-axis. Now, how far they move to the right will probably be dictated by how far they move up because I've been saying yeah. this for a while now. This team, their, their success in the pass game tends to be anchored by how successful they are in the run game. So if that y-axis improves, I think that x-axis will get better if only by default, but if the y-axis improving that means defenses aren't keying on the run as much and they're gonna have to actually give a little bit more respect to the run so that the passing game could have more room to actually operate so that's what i'm gonna say i say it's a thing now but i don't think it will be over the next three weeks if only by default right, i'm greg. worried i'm worried greg, that greg this is like faces of death can you take it down it's, <laughs> it's giving me nightmares yeah i'm worried i'm worried though like a team like the los angeles rams threw for 307 yards and scored 23 points against the 49ers defense. Like mm, you yeah. still have to be able to do something offensively. And the Steelers did nothing, nothing in that yeah. game. The yeah. Rams had a guy named Puka Nakua <laughs> go for 147 yards and Kenny Pickett couldn't get the ball to George Pickens at all in the game against the 49ers. They also have two guys that have the same similar offensive philosophy yeah. between McVeigh and Shanahan. So that plays a factor. I mean, because we talk about, people keep talking about Sean McVay being a genius, right? Should we be that shocked? If mm. we're, you know, following along the script that everybody keeps giving us about Sean McVay being a genius, because apparently that novel's already written. Apparently he's already Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind. So maybe that shouldn't shock us as much. <laughs> not, not that I'm arguing against the point, Greg, because I do think the Steelers' offense should have been better. But I, I kind of set that to the side with that team just because we've seen what that offense has done. And they're very similar in how they get down. That's, that's just me. All right, we'll move on. All right. Uh, so we just had a chart. Now we're going to go to 
uh, a ranking system. I don't have I don't have anything for this one though, chart wise. No, no visuals. No visuals this time around. Okay, that's fine. Well, we don't really want them for this one either. <laughs> so we saw the PFF rankings come out for Steelers players this week. Offensive line and the cornerbacks got uh, absolutely bludgeoned, rightfully so. If you watched that game with mm-hmm. no run game whatsoever and Levi Wallace getting burned all day every day but they came out and said that miles garrett had a better game than tj watt which is just not true at all so do we buy into the pff rankings when it comes to the steelers josh Hmm. you really want me to go first with this because i might have a lot more to say than you two it (laughs) let let me let, let me preface this by saying that I understand that there are people who do a lot of work. They watch a lot of tape and work down a lot of the stuff to come up with the conclusions that they do. I'd, I'd never take that away from anybody. I'd never disassociate that. What bothers me is that, first of all, what bothers me is that we have colleagues that just swear by this stuff. Like they just, they'll swear by this before they swear by their own eyes, which I don't always trust their eyes either, but that's beside the point. What bothers me is for every ranking with the offensive line or every grade with the offensive line that reflected what we thought it was and every grade for the corners that reflected what we thought it was, then you have grades like, oh, Miles Garrett had a better performance than T.J. Watt or Miles Garrett had a better performance than Alex Highsmith. For those two things, I just talked about that were good. Good two things that make no damn sense. I I can't always buy into it because – some of it does make sense. And you look at it, you're like, okay, that 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 at least correlates. Then you look at some of this other stuff where you're like, oh, well, Miles Garrett had this, this pass rush win rate, which is fine. But did it have as much of an impact on the game itself? We saw Alex Highsmith and TJ Watt contribute to two touchdowns, and one of them won the game. The other one was the first touchdown of the game. You can't sit here. And tell me, when, when last time I checked, guys, the, the, the end game when you step on the field is to have more points than the other team at the end of the night, right? That is the goal. I think so. If yeah. I'm not mistaken. Well, you had two guys that contributed more points toward the contributed to their team having more points than the other team, and they did it on two individual plays. And one they worked together. If that's your end game that we're talking about here, that should be that, that should be enough to prove that the two guys had a better day than the one. Unless I missed something. Unless no, I, can, I think I think uh, you're on to something. Yeah. I, I also think that that PFF has become kind of like what fan graphs is to baseball, right? In that there's a ton of oh, valuable it's football inf- metrics uh, movement for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Like there's a ton of valuable information in there. I don't want to write off PFF as if, like you said, Josh, they're not doing valuable work. I, I think they're 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 analyzing the game from a certain perspective. I just think that this, for example, a pass rush win rate, like they used to grade Garrett over Watt and Highsmith. That's like the XFIP of, of football now. XFIP <laughs> is expected fielding independent pitching for those of you that aren't up on sabermetrics in baseball. That means we're going to take everything out of the game. What's fielding, fielding independent pitching? I think we take Everything we take home runs and strikeouts and walks out, right? We take like the three true outcomes out or something like that. And then we do an, we're not even giving you what that number is. We're doing the expectancy of that number based on how, no, no, no. I don't need to know all that. If I have two guys with a 375 ERA and they both have 16 wins and I'm trying my damnedest to figure out which one is better. I might go all the way down my list of priorities to XFIP. Same thing goes. 
If I see Miles Garrett and Alex Highsmith and TJ Watt and anyone else all have similar games or similar seasons, right? I'm they've all got 16 sacks and they've all got a, a, the same number of of quarterback pressures and the same number of this and they're all on 10 and 7 teams. Well, then I might dig in and find out what their pass rush win rate was to see if I can find some sort of delineation between these guys that all looked very, very similar. But here's the catch to your point, Josh. They didn't produce similar results on Monday night. Highsmith and Watt single-handedly won, not single-handedly, double-handedly won the game together for the <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers. Miles Garrett didn't have a sack. I, what, what world are we living in? where that guy had a better game than Watt and Highsmith. He didn't. He may have had a better pass rush win rate than those guys, which is great. Congratulations. You're not going to get anything for that. Your agent can take it to the table and try to negotiate a contract for you with that. But guess what? It's going to be a whole lot harder to negotiate that contract than it will be for TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith, who just won a damn game for their team. So, that's that is, that's the difference for me because pass rush pass rush win rate it looks great on paper and it looks great when talking about mm-hmm. individual performances. What T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith did actually produce results and they were game winning results. You right. can't ignore that when they mm-hmm. led two points and one of them specifically led two points that was the game deciding score. You yep. can't negate that part and it's. Don't get me wrong. I I understand the concept of this guy does this job so well that maybe it affects other things around him. I understand the concept of a butterfly effect. What better butterfly effect is there when you actually force the ball into a turnover and score? That's a whole lot of butterflies. They might even be, they they might even be triceratops for for all we're talking about. They might even be pterodactyls. I don't know. That's what what you're looking for. Triceratops don't fly. Yeah. I mean, we're talking butterflies versus pterodactyls here. I, maybe I'm missing something once again because yes, the the impact of an individual guy on the play that might not necessarily involve him. Yes, it's important, but when the other guy dictates what might have been the outcome of the game, it means something. Let's not kid ourselves here. I have nothing else to say because you guys covered it all on that one. <laughs> I'm just glad someone else picked up on my error when it came to classes of dinosaurs. I appreciate you guys. <laughs> How can My you son. tell? How can you tell who has kids and who doesn't? We yeah, were all over the dinosaur analogies. I, I'm I'm still I'm still new to the game, so thanks to the veteran for helping the rookie out. I appreciate you. <laughs> and I was just sitting here wondering what you guys were talking about. <laughs> all right, we'll move on to the uh, third topic. All right, I'll I'll start with this one because I didn't really get to say much with the last one. I'll I think I think uh, okay. Well, so. Steelers offense, we've already talked about how it's really struggled, and I think a big reason is because the lack of usage of the tight end. Pat Fryermuth has two catches for five yards in two games, and he only has five targets. Like, I know that his run blocking hasn't been great, and maybe that's why he's been cut out of the offense, but they got to move the football better, and I think it starts with throwing the ball to the middle of the field to that guy, Pat Fryermuth. I think this is definitely a thing. They need to get this guy way more involved. Yeah, this is this – if they're keeping him off the field because of his run blocking, that's not how this works anymore, especially not with Deontay Johnson out of the lineup. Like, you need somebody to work the middle of the field, 
And that somebody right now is Pat Fryermuth. Um, five targets through two games is not good enough. You need help in the the run blocking. Then do what this big dummy right here, this guy has been saying since the preseason. Put two tight ends on the field. What are you afraid of? You made them starters. You made them starters right. against Cleveland. Use you them. introduced them both to the crowd. Why, why not? Why can't Darnell Washington be the blocking tight end and Pat Fryermuth be the glorified slot receiver tight end? You can do that. Um, the 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 fear that this offense and this team has of running twelve personnel, it, it still does not make sense to me. Um, these are two big weapons, Fryermuth and Washington. In Washington's case, both literally as well as figuratively, you are trying to find places to distribute the football so as to keep defenses from absolutely wet blanketing George Pickens and taking him out of games. Spread the ball around. Use the middle of the field, which you still apparently are afraid to do. Why are you still afraid to use the middle of the field when you've got these guys as targets at tight end? To a certain extent, I get the worries about Friar Muse blocking. Some of the videos that are out there are like, whoa, cringy bad. But I'm not asking Pat Fryermuth to block, to be quite honest. I'm asking Pat Fryermuth to get open in the middle of the field, and he does so. Get him the ball there. Darnell Washington can block and get open. What that means for the future, way down the road a couple years from now, and a Pat Fryermuth contract extension and all kinds of stuff, that's a conversation for a different day. I'm not worried about it right now. I'm worried about going out to Vegas and winning a ball game and actually scoring some points with our offense this time around. So, unfortunately, I think it's a thing that they've forgotten about Pat Fryermuth. It needs to not be a thing. What needs to be a thing is more 12 personnel and two tight ends, Josh. I think it's definitely a thing that he hasn't been used enough in the middle of the field. I also think it's a thing that they haven't used the middle of the field enough. But I also think it's a thing that if you want to see more of Pat Fryermuth in the passing game, you're probably going to have to see a better result in the run game. Because we're talking about using the middle of the field. What's a good way to open up the middle of the field? have some success running the football. Mm -hmm. Because if you have success running the football and the defense is more geared towards trying to clog the middle of the field to stop the run, guess what opens up when you don't hand the ball off? The middle of the field. So if we're going to see more success in the passing game in the middle of the field, you probably need to see more success in the run game, in which case Pat Fryermuth's blocking might play somewhat of a role. Not a huge role, but a small role. But he's not alone in this. The other five, or in the case of Darnell Washington, six guys, if they're in 12 personnel, have to do their jobs as well. Everybody has to do their job as well. Because I keep hearing this, well, Najee Harris isn't getting many yards. Yeah, because at the at the best right now, he may have two or three guys actually blocking 11 in front of him, and that's not going to be good. Even if the five guys in front of him are doing his job, he's still got, what, six or seven blocking 11? That's not enough. Everybody in front of him, it's betting up you're taking the quarterback out of the equation. So now he has to rely on nine guys blocking 11 in front of him. But if you're not getting consistent effort from six to seven of them, the other couple don't matter. And the six to seven that have to do their job are within the hash marks. They've got to do their jobs better. The line has to do its job better. And that might help as far as using the middle of the field to throw the ball because maybe there's someone not in the quarterback's lap. Maybe that's part of it. Good call. So, there's not nine guys in the box. Yeah, there's not nine guys in the box. So that all of this, it all goes hand in hand. If you understand how the flow of the game works, when you have success in one aspect of it, another part of it's going to open up. So, yes, I understand Pat Frymer's blocking is a problem and I understand his lack of targets is a problem. But maybe the issue here 
is that there isn't much manipulation of the middle of the field because they haven't been able to sequence it well enough to do that because the run game hasn't opened it up to be able to take take advantage of the middle right. of the field. And then the passing game, like we're talking about a third down with the field wide open, that's an entirely different story. But we're involving the tight end right now. And he's probably going to be doing that on, on first and second down and probably off play action. And what's the best way to do that? Get the defense geared toward the run game so the middle of the field opens up. And if you're not in that position, it's going to make it hard. Do you, do I want to see more of what we saw against Buffalo in the preseason? Sure, but it was also the preseason. But do I want to see more packages where maybe you have receivers and Pat Frymouth on the field where he does what he does best? Absolutely, because we're talking about putting down on Washington, and when you're running the ball more, fine. Put Pat Frymouth out there with three or four receivers and spread the field out and let him work the middle while they're worried about Pickens and Austin on the outside or Allen Robinson in the slot. You still got Frymouth in the middle to, to dictate terms in the middle of the field. This isn't really a thing of, oh, well, they need to do this so many times a game. It's a matter of, hey, this is what the down and distance and the personnel dictates. Just do this smart thing in, in response to it and let everything else take care of itself. That's the problem with me. The one time they threw the ball in the middle of the field, it resulted in a big touchdown for George Pickens because I think right. the Browns' defense was like, they're not going to do this. Right. And they played they so far did. off of him. <laughs> exactly. It, 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 that particular situation dictated where they went with the ball. That was one of the few examples that we've seen of it this season. Another one of the examples was that two-minute drill against San Francisco, and a lot of it was, San, yes, San Francisco was playing back to the two-minute drill. Defenses aren't that aggressive. I understand that concept. But the Steelers' offense just took what they gave them. They rattled off the biggest run play of that game during that drive because the, the situation dictated, hey, we got a lot of space here if we run the ball. So that's what they did. Same thing against Cleveland. The situation dictated, hey, George Pickens is wide open underneath here. Let's get him the ball and let him, let him make a play in space. And that's what they did. Some of this is just – you talked about this earlier, Chris. Just taking the situation that's in front of you and making the simple decision. Yeah. And that might be a solution for this too. Make it easier on people. Don't make it too complicated, at least not for a guy, again, like Kenny Pickett, who I think needs some confidence right now and needs things to be simplified to an extent with within a certain context. Anyway, that has been another rousing edition of Is This a Thing? Greg, thanks for your help. We appreciate it as always. Uh, be sure to subscribe if you haven't already to Fourth Down in the Steel City. Follow the podcast, leave your ratings, leave your comments, leave your reviews wherever you get it, whether it's inside your Odyssey app, it's free, A-U-D-A-C-Y, download it today, or iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, anywhere you get your podcasts, it's available, and be sure to get the video versions as well, the 93.7 The Fan YouTube page, click on the little notification bell, you'll get notified, because that's what notifications do, I think that's how that works, yep. Uh, as soon as new videos are ready. We will do this again tomorrow as we continue to build up towards Steelers, Raiders, and get you ready. We'll build the game plan. We'll get Dave Sherapan, our guy from Vegas, on the line to, uh, to talk about what the Raiders may or may not do in this thing. We'll have our picks for the entire Sunday slate as well. It's all coming up as we continue this week to build up towards Sunday night. For Josh Taylor and Greg Finley, I'm Chris Mack. Keep it locked right here. Fourth down in the Steel City.